so many good things in both of those talks. I got like all these notes here, and I just, I don't even, I'm going to hopscotch around here. Just so many good things from, from both of you brothers, practical things and so forth. Um, I, I really appreciate Mark having a talk on patience before I give a talk with 22 points. Yeah. <laughs> that was like Thanks, application. Brother. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> In between point 21 and point 22, but that's fine, whatever. Nice. Uh, let's, let's, let's start with you, Vrogup. Vrogup? Both are great. What's that? How does your mom say it? My mom says Vrogup. 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 If you're born in the right so I country. I got it. I got it right. Or it's Fruhup, if you're in from Fruhup. Right. Vrogup. Vrogup. It's like the way Don Carson says genre. 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 <laughs> Clock's ticking, bro. Let's roll. Come on. Yeah, okay. Vro Vrogo. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to start with you because your stuff will also kind of bleed into this evening, I think, in the, the talk there. But, but uh, Mark, you had two basic points. Just to recap, to remind us all, patience is a mark of discipleship. was your first big point. It's priority. It's for the Spirit. It's part of maturity. It's not to be prayed for. Mark of genuine conversion. Then your second main point was that it's a key component of pastoral ministry. So, uh, spiritual leadership always involves patience, character of patience, part of pastoral work, teaching with patience, patience, pastoral care, suffering, or un patience and unsuffering and unsuffering treatment, which are your subpoints. True or false, brother, pastoral impatience leads to pastoral burnout. Pastoral impatience leads to pastoral burnout. True or false? Generally true. True or false? Pastoral impatience will harm your family. True. True or false? Uh, pastoral, an impatient person is more likely to abuse authority. Absolutely true. Can you unpack that one a bit? An impatient person at their core has a pride issue related to I have my agenda and, and, and whenever we have areas of impatience I had this idea of how this was going to turn out I had an idea of how this would turn out it didn't happen how I thought it was going to and so therefore I'm frustrated and so um, there's an there's a, there's a idolatry issue that's implicit in that when then that idol has the opportunity to express that in an official position of power or um, title um, or ways in which you can actually make your um, vision a reality and force it through um, it's a like that it just exacerbates that idol and it just just takes off um, and that can happen in a, in a small way in a marriage with your kids um, it, it can happen pastorally it doesn't matter what the authority level is or Man, the heart of a, of a, of a dictator is, uh, dictatorships are fairly efficient yeah. um, for that very negative reason, right? So. Yeah. Last one, true or false, pastoral patience requires a deep, I don't know if this is a word, convincedness in the sovereignty of God. Yeah, absolutely. True. I'll unpack that slightly. I think it goes back to what I said on the negative side is at the heart of impatience is a, is a pride or self-centeredness. Um, 
And on the other side, the way that it's conquered is with an ability to trust that God must know that I needed these people in my church. He must know that that particular um, issue in our church isn't dying slowly. Um, he must know that this is part of my spiritual formation process. And so if one has a high view of God and his sovereignty, it actually you can become thankful for hard circumstances, hard people, hard challenges, and instead of being worn out and exhausted because you're impatient and trying to figure out how to get out of this, you can just rest and not fatalistic, but just go, we'd like to see this change. It isn't changing as fast as we like. The Lord knows, and, and then perhaps God will grant people repentance. I think that text is really, really important in uh, 2 Timothy, and it's frankly, it's liberating because their repentance doesn't depend upon my ability or my force or my exegesis. Yeah. It, it, it's God's. Yeah. So I got to work hard and then rest. Yeah. I had one more on the on sufficiency of scripture, but you talked about that in your talk. So as you were talking, brother, I, I kept thinking sort of in, in the backdrop of what you were saying, sort of David Wells books or John Piper, brothers, we are not professionals books or the business mindset of so much pastoring. I say that's the backdrop because yours was very much contrary to predominant pastoral marketing models. Anything to comment on that, brothers? How is it that the model of a pastor today doesn't encourage patience? How do we wrongly think about being pastors that doesn't go there? Any, any of the brothers? I'd say just a couple of things. One, to piggyback on the last point, I heard years ago, uh, God is committed to making us long-suffering. But to make us long-suffering, he has to bring people into our lives who make us suffer long. Uh, that's painfully true. You'll never develop that Christ-like character trait without people coming in who rub you the wrong way like, like sandpaper. So it does help you, for me even, when I have most of my students are wonderful. But there are a few that when they graduate, I speak in tongues. I'm so glad they're gone. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I become a, a bad decostal for at least a brief moment. And uh, yet I recognize that God brought them here, at least in part, to work on me uh, because his goal is to make me a long-suffering kind of person. Second part is, I think at the root of it, we've lost the biblical model of what we're called to be, and that is shepherds. We've also lost the biblical pattern that the church is most like a family, not a corporation. Now, we can learn from the corporate world, and we can use wise principles, and we should. But I relate to my family differently than I relate to almost anybody else. And there is grace, there is patience, uh, there is uh, long-suffering, uh, there is attention, there is concern and care, even to the point of sacrificing uh, willingly because their interest matters more to me than my own. When then you translate that into the church, you're going to be much more drawn to this kind of model that Mark exhibited for us and put before us today than you will some type of corporate model. Yeah. I, I think this sort of impatience can be fueled, this is really related to what Danny is saying, it can be fueled by um, this lust for success, whatever that looks like, that ambition for 
um, some kind of outward visible uh, success and notoriety and, and all of that good stuff. It will drive an impatience. Uh, also related to something Danny is saying in terms of the model of ministry, uh, I think the notion of wanting to do ministry by which people sometimes have this kind of project idea in mind, not recognizing that the people are the ministry, you're serving the people, that gets in the way and, and people then become inconvenient, they slow you down, you know, they need to comply or they're, they're hindering what I really want to do. I mean, wherever we feel ourselves thinking that, that this person is hindering what I want to do, some of you say a moment ago, I, that's probably an indication that we're thinking wrongly about people and the nature of the ministry is shepherding. And people aren't projects, right? Uh, and thinking wrongly about what we're called to quote unquote do there. Uh, and some impatience is probably growing up. Well, that's where your point about loving people more than where they're at was just so on the point. Which was wonderful, brother. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think meeting in discipling relationships will teach us patience. Uh, you know, the Lord's constantly reminding me that that I didn't get here overnight, and neither did you. Uh, you think about how long the Lord worked on us. And, you know, in discipling relationships, I like to tell people it's a crockpot recipe. It's not microwavable. Uh, we want, you know, microwavable frozen dinners are great, uh, but the, the discipling relationship is, a, is the long view, not just the life view. Mark and I spoke years ago, i never forget, we are walking uh, by, by, the, by the lake, uh, by his church. And he said to me, he said, young leaders suffer from two things, two challenges equally. They overestimate what can be done in the short run and they underestimate what can be done over the long haul. And it was so helpful for me. I've never forgotten that. And it, it just shows you that this is a long view and, and we're patient with brothers. I, I remember A.H. Strong uh, was telling the story of a seminary professor who was approached by one of his students who came to him and said, is there any way I can get the same class credit by doing a shorter class? And the professor said, yes, but it depends on what you want to be. It takes six months to grow a mushroom. It takes a hundred years to grow an oak tree. What do you want to be? And so we have to think through this. Uh, I, I just think I appreciated the patience uh, challenge for us just to think through it's, it's, it takes time. People are messy. And so it takes time. I think this is one of the ways that nine marks, I'm not doing a little commercial, but this is fact for me. Like, I don't know very many um, well-known um, national-based ministers of the gospel who communicate like those two things that Mark communicated. And I've heard that before. And it was at a five years uh, conference where first you said, uh, first five years, yeah, um, your church is not a project to be fixed, it's a people to be loved. And I just think like that, that I, I, I think needs to be continually communicated um, from folks who may have the outward, um, like how'd you get to where you are? Well, not without a lot of patience and pain. I just think that needs to be a more front of the room sort of conversation. Robbie, let's go back to that point though. Uh, on this question of patience, in the context of one-on-one -on -one relationships, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. This time? Um, I remember spending a lot of time with this one guy who wanted to spend time with me because I think it was, I was an older guy, it was in a seminary context, uh, and he liked the attention, and he liked to hang out, and I spent years, a couple of years with this guy, 
and I don't know how much fruit it bore. And so finally, I just like, I don't think you're a good investment of time. I didn't say that. (laughs) But I thought it. And I acted accordingly. Is that an appropriate decision to make? Should we make discriminating decisions between you're worth spending time with, you're not? How does patience factor into that in discipling members of the church? Well, I think Jesus did that. (laughs) I think you're on safe ground there. I think Jesus did that. Hey, listen, I want to follow you. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air uh, have nests. The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. I'm not one of these high-flying rabbis that stay at the best Western hotels with mints on the pillows. I'm not a frequent flyer on Delta. I don't even have a place to sleep, much less meet, right? Hey, let me follow you. Let me go bury my father. Let the dead bury their dead. As for you, come follow me. So I think in discipling relationships, Jesus never, here's an interesting point. Jesus never lowered the bar. He always raised the bar. And I find myself just spending a lot of time with people who don't want to be spent or time to be spent with. And and as pastors, we have to steward our time. Our time is very valuable to us. And so what I'm looking for, and you've heard this, Howard Hendricks, this is what I'm looking for when I'm investing in a person. I'm looking for fat Christians, right? You guys have heard this. Faithful, available, and teachable. And the number one thing, if you have all the talent in the world and you don't have this one thing, I can't work with you. But if you have little to no talent to write home about, but you have this one ability, you can work with anybody. And that's teachability. If you don't, if you don't admit that you don't know everything, you can't learn anything. And I think you have to, and that's what I'm looking for in guys. Now, I've been meeting with guys practically personally. I meet personally in a group of three to five. There are reasons I do that. Uh, I, people think one-on-one discipleship, and there is a time and place for that. David and I met in one-on-one discipleship, David Platt and I, for about six months, and then we opened it up to a group of about seven or eight. We do three to five. There's, there's, there's books written on that. There's analysis. And the trump card is Jesus never met with anybody one-on-one systematically over time. He had a discipleship group of three. We always meet out of the group of three, one-on-one, but never in place of the group. I've written on this. I don't have time to talk about it here. But what I would say is when you meet with a group, here's what would solve that issue. When you meet with a group, you have to have a final meeting time. If, now, obviously, you still meet with them outside of the group. But there has to be a point where the mentee becomes a mentor. And this is what I loved about what you said, that there has to be a point where the player becomes a coach, and, and the saying we, we say is the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. And if you think about that, so, so everyone in here either is doing one of two things. You're running with passion and handing off the baton or you're fumbling the handoff. And, and I think if you set those parameters on the front end, it's a whole lot easier. And you learn differently. See, see, when I was with David, he used to say, you're never learning for yourself. This is not even about you. And I was only a believer one year removed from $180 a day heroin and cocaine addiction. David and I met one year after that. And David used to say, you're not learning for yourself. And I'm like, bro, you don't, what, what is God going to do with me, right? And he's like, no, you're learning for the people behind you. And that's why I said you should never take, you never should listen to a message or a sermon without taking notes. Why? Because you're going to forget 85% of what you just heard in 20 minutes. And that is bad stewardship, bro. <laughs> and, and only the way David Platt could say, right? It's bad stewardship. So I, I just think, I think if you have that, that final point to say, hey, listen, this is not about you. You're learning for the next guy. I think that changes the dynamic of the relationship. 
I think that there's a wisdom point where it's not wise to continue a relationship. I just don't make that decision when I feel impatient. So maybe I have a bad meeting and I'm like, I am so done. Sure. So I'm going to pause, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I'm going to pray, maybe meet again, seek counsel. And then I may decide, you know, in this brother's best interest and in mine, this, we need to just find a way to, to land this plane. I'm just not going to make that decision when I'm feeling impatient. That's a warning sign that I could be on thin ice. Yeah. Good. Amen. Can I ask Mark a question? Sure. So on the one hand, we were talking about patience. And, and again, brother, thank you. I, you just fed my soul so wonderfully well. On the one hand, we were talking about patience, and we were, we were talking about, on one side, the things that drive impatience. I wonder if you would talk about the other side. What's the difference between patience and things like cowardice, unfaithfulness, laziness, and so on? So, you know, how does patience differ from those things? Uh, that's a great question. Like, I think I'm being patient, but really I'm just being lazy. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you really need to do a hard thing, and you say, let's just be patient here. Let's just, yeah. and, and patient one month turns into two years, and you've not dealt with a thing. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you're, you're being patient about answering the question. <laughs> Or is he being chicken? I can't yeah. tell. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, you have to wrestle with at the end of the day, what is, what is the reason? Because there can be self-centered patience, right? Or things that sound patient when they're, when they're really not, um, and you're trying to gain something else. I think that, it, that there's a convictional piece, that there are some things you just can't be patient in. Um, and they, they need to be changed, and they need to be changed quickly. And there were some things in both uh, church settings that I've been in that we've needed to change quicker than what I was even comfortable with. But it was time, and uh, it was clear that the Lord was leading uh, that direction. So part of this, I think, and part of my challenge in answering is that I, um, my motor runs fast, not slow. I want to pull the trigger faster than not. And so I've got a tip towards the patient piece, not towards the other side of the equation. And so I think more about the other than I do um, the um, other side of the coin that, you, uh, that you, you mentioned and referenced. I think there's a great counterbalance that you, you really could wait way too long to make some changes. What about people in the pew, okay? So we're talking about pastors here. Do you think people in our congregations err on the side of patience or are they overzealous with serving the Lord and discipling people. I mean, what are you thinking at CHBC? That may be an anomaly. That's probably not the best church to ask. At every other church but CHBC. <laughs> <laughs> I know CHBC, but, and that's a compliment, but in most churches, what, what, what would you guys think? Let me come back to this, and then I'll pay you back on that. As I was thinking about it, go back to the text that I preached from this morning, and uh, Peter says, not the way of the cross for you. Jesus wasn't patient. He jumped on that immediately. Why? And I would say if it's an issue of, of doctrine that is on the, that's basically heretical, or if it's a sin issue, you have a brother or a sister that is in adultery. That's an easy one to choose. You say, well, we need to be patient with this. No, no, you don't. 
you need to go see them right now. It's not, it's, it's not comfortable. Uh, you'd prefer not to, but you can't wait on things like that. So I think when it's a sin issue or it's a crucial cardinal doctrine issue, you have to move quickly. When it's other things that are just, well, God, it's not my preference. I just wish this, well, no, that's well, different. Like assessing somebody to be a, an officer in your church. Yes. Absolutely. That's a much that's a good sure. analogy or a good, a good example. So, yeah, that's different. So we can slow down. Watch this. Be, in fact, we probably are wise to slow down and, and be patient. Well, you, you had that excellent illustration of the KJV for eight years that you prayed for them. Now, how you got that church without knowing that the KJV is what they used, I wasn't quite sure I understood that. No, I, I, I understood that that was the issue, but I didn't understand how deeply entrenched oh, into their, okay. in some respects, their worldview it was. Right. So I understood it at one level. I was like, all right. And then it got, and then I found oh, the boy. floor, right, and then moved from there. Well, let, let, me, let me throw out a, a bunch of these quickly, and you guys can all do, um, here's the question. Should I be patient? or not patient, mean act quickly, or uh, it just really depends. Are you ready? You're all, gonna, you're all gonna do this, or this, or this. All right, here we go. No, no, no. I've seen some of the questions. You, you inherit a church, and this is what you find. I'm gonna give you a bunch of bullet points. This is what you find. Be patient for a while. Don't be patient, act quickly. Yeah, depends. You ready? American flag on the stage. Depends, it depends, depends, it depends, it depends. I pastored that church already. Yeah. Okay. So you might move quickly if you could, but you're not going to die in that hill. That's what I'm interpreting. It depends on what you uncover. I mean, if you uncover that they really believe America is the chosen people of God, you help them exegete, you know. Second uh, Chronicles and, and Psalm 33 and things better, and they still maintain that belief, yeah, then you might be gone quickly. A statement of faith that specifies a view on the millennium. What, what, are, what are these again now? This is be patient. Don't be patient. You need to act. This is, uh, it just depends. Read it again. A statement of faith that specifies a view on the millennium. So we got some yes, be patient, some not sure, okay. Uh, an elaborate committee structure that's hindering the work of the ministry. So <laughs> you're not patient. How, many, how many committees, what are their names? Flower committee. Flower committee. I passed to that church as well. Kitchen committee. <laughs> Keep going. Pulpit Name committee. the committee and I'll tell you. Committee yeah. on committees. <laughs> committee on yeah. committees. Yeah, in the church, yeah. Those are very helpful. Very helpful. Edifying, too. Altar calls. Again, what is the, this is... I'm going to be patient. <laughs> and they, they want me to keep, they want me to keep doing them. This is patient. This, this, this is, is patient. I'm not going to change something. This, this church is, I'm has do a it pattern now. of long, drawn-out altar calls. I'm not going to be patient every on this. Week. not going to be patient on this. This goes against what I think is best. So not patient, not patient, maybe. And... I don't really like this exercise. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to play. You don't have to play. <laughs> Baby. Uh, it worked well in Fort Worth when we I did it last know. month. 
So, so you guys would go in and say they have, you'd immediately stop it. Just boom, right out of the chute. First week, first stop month. What? Stop the what? altar call. Stop, stop altar the calls. altar call. I did. Uh, now I may, I, and you I may not be there long, but. <laughs> well, because again, be, well, my thing would be, am I, is this the wisest way to shepherd them? What I did is I changed to a next steps area. So I didn't get, I did, I moved the altar call to a next steps area, which I think is a better way to respond to people who want to respond to the message in more ways than salvation. And I announced my opposition to it before they voted on me. So they knew I was opposed to it. And I also uh, tried to assess what kind of uh, support the altar call had in the congregation. And I could imagine it being so much that I would decide to do as a kind of medium step well, so like that. that sounds like it could have been this given different dynamics. Yeah, that's true. It could have been that, yeah. Because what I'd say to these guys, I understand the aversion to that, but my goodness, if you go into a church that's been doing that for 100 years and you bust up the cartel the first week, you may be calling U-Haul on Monday. Well, <laughs> that's exactly right. And what, what, the, the reason I'm here in large measure is because I'm the one doing the altar call. I thought you weren't playing. What, what are you saying now? He's back playing. <laughs> I said I didn't like it. He's I'll play. Next, I'll next play. One. But, but no, real next, quick, real quick before you go on. I, you didn't want to play. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> Be patient. Patience, Jonathan. It, there's an opportunity there to clarify what conversion is, to talk about it in a way that's helpful to redirect in ways that give more counseling. Because what I've found in the church that I was in Cayman, Jonathan had helpfully blown up altar calls uh, and had, you know, really ran the people out of the church who wanted them. Before you so, got th- These two brothers before actually there, pastored yeah. the same church. Before I got there. First Jonathan, then Tabidi. Yeah. And so um, there were only a couple of folks. And here's what I found when I listened to them. They had this sense that they wanted people to be able to respond to powerful preaching. And the way they had learned that was the altar call. I just thought, well, let's talk about response and what the biblical response is and so on. Expositional preaching. They, they, they want you to tone down on the expositional preaching. They've never had it. Okay. A really bad Sunday school curriculum that all the Sunday schools are using. Define bad doctrinally or just like... Eh. Let's, 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 say, let's say it's not heresy. It's just really shallow, insipid, and bad. Okay. Depends, it depends, it depends. Maybe patient. Okay. Um, <laughs> not patient. Patient. I'm struggling with this thing. A style of music you find objectionable? Why? What's objectionable? Style. 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 Content style. Oh, then yeah. Okay, there's, there's no reason. Except Sabidi's a little impatient, maybe on that one. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what the question is. Right, never, but... never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> don't worry about it. Hey, Sabidi, you just hold your hand out like this, brother, the whole time. You can go like this. Hold that car with that. Hold right there. Why are you rubbing on me, brother? So calm down. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm being really patient with you right now. <laughs> Can you, can you email him your notes? He didn't hear uh, <laughs> Denominational affiliation with a largely liberal denomination. 
looking at you you've just accepted some baptist church that's kind of affiliated with american baptist yeah. or something I, yeah okay all right multiple services <laughs> we're waiting on you <laughs> Why does this feel like a scene from Gladiator right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. A beloved missionary, beloved by the church, who is utterly ineffective, and you feel like we are not a heretical, but like we're squandering the Lord's money to send into this guy over wherever. A deacon who has a whispered reputation for being dishonest. Has whispered. A whispered, you hear it whispered, reputation for being dishonest. We're, we're the new guy at the church. We're the new guy at the church. Well, I'm going to go get him. <laughs> I know that way. Yeah. You're go- Danny? Well, I'm, if that's what I hear, I'm going to find a way to go see him pretty quickly and verify or non-verify these things are true, and then that will determine how to, if I find out, well, yeah, he really is a, a liar, then we're going here. Yeah, okay. A beloved Sunday school teacher who loves Joel Osteen and tends, affirms the gospel when you ask the right yes or no questions, but he sounds like Joel Osteen when he teaches in his Sunday school class. Is his class growing? Absolutely. Stagnant. Stagnant. It's the best class now. (laughs) Patient, 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 patient. Stagnant. I'm being patient with this guy. I'm not going to immediately remove him. You could pray that maybe you could have him change. We probably all have that guy. Disciple with him. We but probably it, have that no, guy. No, Robbie, we don't have that okay. guy. You don't have that guy. Okay. <laughs> Baptizing a child. I don't, I don't know what your respective, like, I would never baptize a six-year-old. I'd never baptize a 10-year-old. But let's just say four or five years under whatever that line is, okay? So let's just say, I'm going to say a six-year-old. Bap- There's a culture in the church of baptizing those four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Your convictions are like, I just, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Patient impatient okay we have one one kid who's not like the rest mark oh oh yeah i'm sorry <laughs> black and american man just black and american <laughs> let, let's listen Complain, complain, complain. I don't like this game. I don't like this game. It's a race thing, isn't it? We, we do have cooler games. Uh, <laughs> we got to have Thabiti lead one of these panels and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, I know, right? For real. Okay, you two, and th- we had very different answers there. Thoughts, brothers? A couple of you are recommending patience, a couple of you are not. Well, I mean, you set it up to make it a sharp edge, the way you ask the question. You could Help ask these that- brothers know how to use judgment in a church where they show up and people are baptizing much younger than they're accustomed to. I, want you I do not them. want to help people affirm people are going to hell 
that they're going to heaven. It's just too serious a thing. And uh, I'm going to be very patient with Sunday school teachers who are citing people they shouldn't be citing, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. But when it gets to looking at this person and assuring them on in, in behalf of Jesus that they will spend eternity in heaven, I'm going to take my role in that as a person baptizing them very seriously. And I'm just going to give the benefit of the doubt to caution. So no amount of congregational patience that I'm going to do on all kinds of issues with the congregation would get me to budge on, on that one. Now, if we're talking about we normally baptize 18-year-olds and here's a 15-year-old, that's a whole different matter. Sure. But we're talking, you said six-year-old. Six. I was trying that, to make it young. Yeah. And that's where I'm just thinking, um, I'm, I'm sure there are many people who are converted before age six, as people even testified here. We were doing sit-ups, uh, stand-up and sit-down earlier today. But that we can be sure of it as a church, I think the Southern Baptist Convention is the best evidence I know against that. Uh, the, the braggadocious about having 15 million members, uh, most of whom we only got because in the 20th century we halved our baptismal age. Uh, you know, in 1900, you would never baptize the ages they were baptized in the year 2000. I mean, a Presbyterian church would, but a Baptist church would never do it. Right. So let me ask a question to the congregation. If you went under the water more than once in your life, stand up. My point's made. That's too many. Now, having said that, I would want to move them. You know, Dr. Crystal, W.A. Crystal, who was known for being very evangelistic, he would not baptize anyone at First Baptist under the age of 10. They would, they gave a walk the aisle invitation, but anyone under 10, he referred to it as a step toward God. He, he always told them, don't, don't hinder the children from expressing their love for Christ, but just understand when that happens, then we're going to deal with them in a form of discipleship. And when they reach their 10th birthday, and I commend him for this because he was pastoring at that time, the largest church in the SBC, they will come see the pastor. And I will talk them through to make sure I am convinced of their genuine conversion. And then he would, at that point, allow them to be baptized. But even W.A. Crystal would not baptize anyone, which was, again, uh, virtually unheard of. Uh, and I'm surprised he set the example in so many ways. But we didn't follow him in this particular area. And you may think the age should be higher, and I'm not going to argue against that either. But uh, he would not baptize anyone under the age of 10. I would certainly try as rapidly as I could to move them toward that direction. I would. And, and, and I would realize that could take some time to get to. I would just try to temporarily halt young baptisms while we have that conversation. So that's what I would try to do. Yeah, yeah That's sort of where I was going. Just... Um, if you're the new pastor, you're showing up there, you're preaching next week, um, preach you about four or five psalms, just preach through the psalms, get settled in. Meet with an older pastor that uh, pours into your life and think through, it, here's how I would frame it, think through the X number of things that you would die for on behalf of that congregation. One of them must certainly be you would give your life for their conversion. Preach a topical series on those things. I want you to know why I'm here, why I'm giving my life to you for the gospel and for you. And this means there are certain things I'm going to be really careful about, namely your soul. And here's an implication. 
about how we do baptisms, about how we do altar calls, and so on and so forth. And, and I want to walk this through with the leadership of the church so that you know my love for you, and we begin to share a common vision about how to do this well for your soul. I mean, you make reference to Corinthians. We work together with you for your joy, um, and so on. And so I, I would just take your time, pause. You're the new person. You're never going to get a better honeymoon than when you first show up. Don't try to attack those things when you first show up because you will be ending your honeymoon uh, very prematurely. Preach through the Psalms, encourage the people, work out your sort of DNA, um, talk with some older godly pastors about how to approach that, uh, and then let your congregation know that you're, you're there to give yourself for those things, for their joy in the Lord. And I think it's good to get those things out even in the, in the candidating process. If you know that your church actually disagrees with you on something that they're going to end up caring a lot about, I think it shows a lack of integrity for you not to indicate that ahead of time. I think, now if you don't know, you don't know. That, and that happens all the time in life. And that's, you know, goodwill on both sides. But I think if you know of something that they're not going to like potentially, I think you honor them and the Lord by just being clear, honest, careful about that. And then if they still want to call you, that's great. I think Thabiti gives great counsel there. It just start with a series of teaching on that and love them through teaching. That way nobody can kind of blackmail you by knowing, you know, the pastor doesn't believe in this sacred thing that we do with the birthday song every day. We, <laughs> Sunday we come and we put money in the, in the offering for missionaries. And, you know, it's just, it's just great to be able to have a, a little relief in public preaching and teaching and kindness uh, before you get to a crisis. I also appreciate how often, brother, you talk about when you get into a church like that, thanking them and praising them for all the evidences of grace you see. If you guys have heard the Beatty talk before, that's something he'll mention from time to time. But if you hadn't, I wanted to say it because you, you bring that out so well. What I hope that exercise was useful for is to help all of us see. I wonder if you noticed the only thing that all of them agreed on, not being patient on, was expositional preaching. That was the only thing I got a unanimous which is to say Mark's model of being patient for eight years on the KJV, uh, whether or not you agree or disagree with that particular one, uh, is just w to be commended, and I think, and I think uh, serves us all well. So thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. We resume at what time? 7.30? <laughs> Let me... Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you that you have been patient with us in Christ. Thank you for parents and pastors and children's workers, ministry workers, and teachers who have been patient with us. We confess that we have not been patient with others. Forgive us. Help us to be patient even as you have been patient. Give us a little bit of rest now and refreshment at dinner so that we can come back ready for more from you. In Christ's name, amen.